Hello, Bulldogs. Thank you for tuning in to Who's Behind the Bulldog, Arvada High School's community interview podcast series. I'm your host and one of the assistant principals at Arvada, Jeremy Jensen. Each week, I'll sit down with someone from our Arvada community, be it staff, students, families, or other community members, to hear their stories. We'll discuss their histories, successes, challenges, learnings, future hopes and dreams, and much more. I hope you find some connections in their stories and hopefully are inspired to take some time to get to know them a bit better as our school year progresses. We have an amazing community here at Arvada, and I hope we can continue to strengthen that despite the challenges that await us in these unknown times. Clicks Bulldog is art teacher Sierra Pius. This spring, Sierra is teaching drawing and painting, advanced and intermediate drawing, and co-teaching Ampton with Isaac Tafoya. She also has a student teacher this semester as well, Karen Wilkes. In our conversation, Sierra talks about how she provides voice and choice for her students, creates a space that is safe to make mistakes, and prioritizes showing students how much she cares about them as strategies to build engagement and inspiration. Thanks as always for listening to this week's episode of Who's Behind the Bulldog. Hey, Sierra, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for asking. Uh, welcome to Who's Behind the Bulldog. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's uh, jump right into the first question here. Um, and that is tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what brought you into education. Okay. My name is Sierra Pius. And what brought me into education was my grandmother growing up. So she has seven children and she told all seven of her children um, to be teachers because she was a high school chemistry teacher and none of them listened to her. And then I spent my entire life listening to all my aunts and uncles complain about how they shouldn't, should have listened to my grandmother. So I thought the one and only time I'm going to listen to my family members is in this piece of advice. So I followed suit, although not with chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, that's awesome. Our students are very fortunate that that's happened. Uh, you produce and your students produce like some really phenomenal work. And every time I go in, I'm just so blown away by the quality of things that um, are able to produce in your class. So I'm glad you chose the path of education. Oh, well, me too. I love it. And I love going to work. And I think that was more important to me than choosing a career that made a lot of money. Well, tell everyone a little bit more about why Arvada specifically, what sort of like led you to Arvada? Um, why have you stayed at Arvada? Uh, I was born and raised in Arvada. I actually went to Arvada West, but I moved away. I got married. I moved to Fort Carson um, down in Colorado Springs. And the entire time I was there, I just thought I miss Arvada. Like I miss the culture. I miss the people. Um, everything about it. So when I graduated from school, I decided to move back and I did my student teaching at Arvada K-8, which is our feeder school. And I fell in love with the kids and they said, you have to get a job at the high school. And at the time there was no posting. I said, well, that's probably not going to happen. And as soon as I saw the job posting, I jumped on it and applied so that I could follow those that group of students through school. Since you've been at Arvada, what are some of the things that you're sort of most proud of um, that have happened uh, in your classroom or even outside of your classroom? There's a lot of things to be proud of. 
I think one of the things I'm most proud of, which I never actually wanted to be a part of to begin with, was the Empty Bowls project. Um, I kind of got tossed into it when I started. I originally applied for a drawing and painting position and I got my schedule and it was all ceramics. So <laughs> I had a panic moment because it wasn't my area of expertise and started that year off focusing on the Empty Bowls project and throughout my seven years, I guess now that I was teaching ceramics, I feel like I developed that project to teach kids about hunger in America and how it's changed um, since the depression and our vision of hungry people is no longer like emaciated, dirty humans. Um, and nowadays what we prioritize is different than what was prioritized um, during the depression. And I think that brings to life the importance of the event for the kids. Um, so really developing what was handed to me as a make this as an extracurricular thing. I feel like I really pushed the students to appreciate it and be proud to be a part of it. Um, and over the past eight years, we've made and donated just under $30,000 to the Arvada Food Bank. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and I want to thank you too, because I, I got a hold of one of your extra bowls from years <laughs> past. And I know this year we weren't able to do empty bowls, which was like really kind of sad that we weren't able to because of the pandemic, but I'm really looking forward to seeing it in full action next year. Yeah, I'm excited to see it come back and see um, if it brings in the same group of people or if there's a way that we can change it um, to kind of revamp it and bring it back. I think when everyone is excited to be able to come back to in-person events, um, I think it will be wonderful. So. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe even like a combo of like, yes, an in-person event, but also if you want to bid on some things um, and online, like maybe we can find a way to do that too. Yeah. Mr. Abling proposed a digital <laughs> version of it this year, uh, which I did not take up out of the lack of tech savviness that I have, but um, I think it's definitely something to think about for next year. Now that I'm getting a little more used to all the digital stuff, um, thinking of ways that we can incorporate that for the people that can't physically come or those that are not yet comfortable to return to normalcy. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, well, thinking about your engagement, because I know that when I pop in, like kids are usually extremely focused on some like very detailed things. What are some of your go-to strategies that you use to make sure that the students do maintain a really high level of engagement for you? I think I have, you know, two or three go-to strategies. I, my first strategy is getting to know the students and their interests. Um, I have identified who I have the hardest time making connections with due to lack of similarities and in interests. Um, so I really try to focus on those students and try to dig to get to know them in order to figure out what we can connect with. And I let the kids know that I'm human. Um, so I think if you talk to almost any of my students, they can at least tell you a little bit of my backstory or something that I've been able to connect with them on. I would say my second strategy is incorporating student choice. So with projects, most projects, I try to give them an overarching idea or concept um, and then give them choice within it. Right now in the drawing class, we are asking the students to find personal quotes or lyrics that relate to them 
And that will lead us into our portrait project where the kids learn how to draw a realistic human portrait. Um, but it, they'll have that sense of choice where they get to choose the image and then they get to decide how that relates to the quote or lyric that represents them. So great to embed the voice and choice. And, and I really enjoyed, uh, there was a couple projects I think that I went in to do with you. And like some of the choices um, that I had in there were really exciting. And it was really fun to see what the students were producing for the, what was the name of that project with the, uh, the flood project? Uh, it, that was a really fun, fun environment to be in and see like the creativeness and like talk to the kids like during the time. And like you said, make those human connections. Yeah, I think for most students coming into an art class, less than 1% of them are going to go on to study art after my class. Um, so one of the things I want to focus on is right this idea of you can create without, you know, necessarily a huge overarching purpose, like, you know, learn through failure. And I think that project in particular gives the students choice. It teaches them you know, about color mixing and this um, idea of chance that you can't necessarily have control over everything, right? You can pick things to have control over, um, but some things are just merely out of your control. And it got the kids to do something and enjoy it um, and take a risk. And if they didn't like it, it doesn't end the world, right? There's no harm um, in this project that if it doesn't turn out it's not the end of the world the kids can you know try again see if they can find something they like and maybe they learn that you know I shouldn't use yellow and purple together I shouldn't use complementary colors if I don't want some sort of muddiness happening in the middle so I think it gives them that chance to find those rules without me having to tell them don't mix these colors like I want to encourage them to try something and see what happens. What a great exercise in like failing forward, like experimenting, not being afraid of failure. If something doesn't work out, that's fine. But what's the point of it is to learn something. And then eventually maybe those skills are sort of developed so that you are really like proud of the things that you're doing because you know what works and doesn't work for you. Yeah, I had a student come back to me after the project and say, I went to a friend's house and I saw one of those paintings on the wall and their parents said that they paid over $250 for the painting on the wall. And well, you, that's, you know, make yeah. them go buy the canvas, spend the $50 on the enormous canvas. You can personalize it and you can make money. But the amount of money that people will spend for something that's just essentially inconvenient or they don't know how to do um, there's lots of opportunities um, if the kids are willing to jump out there and say, I know how to do that. Do you have any favorite projects that you sort of do frequently with kids and you find usually pretty successful for building up their skill set? Over my eight years, I've only had one project, at least in drawing and painting, that I have done every year. And the kids always ask for it. It's the human portrait project, realistic portraits. Um, and I think that's my favorite, not in the sense that every student makes a really phenomenal drawing, um, but every student walks away saying, this is the best thing I've ever drawn. And I have kids that I've run into. I ran into a student uh, two days ago uh, who graduated three years ago 
And he came to me and he was like, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you. I still have that drawing hanging on my wall. So I think that's my favorite project and the one that I continue to do because of how the kids love it in the end and that they are always proud regardless of what it turns out like. They always come back and say, this is the best thing I've ever made. So for a lot of students, that's the like spark that gets them interested um, and gets them willing to try. Um, that's my favorite. I've done another project I really liked, did a political graffiti project. One of my first couple of years there, <laughs> which before I knew all the rules was spray paint. Anyways, it was the day we actually did it. We did spray paint, it was too cold. So we were inside. So all the kids had um, masks on. Luckily I had enough. But of course the district came into my class during that day and they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't have enough masks for the people walking through because I wasn't anticipating them. Um, but the kids researched a political issue and then they were social issue. And then they had to research both sides of it, write a paper on it, and then create a piece of artwork that projected their stance. I had a girl did one on bullying and she ended up getting in a district art show and winning the entire show um, based on the piece. So that one was fun. It gets the kids looking at like what's happening in the world and kids like graffiti. Yeah, and talk about like authentic integration of literacy and social justice issues with like art projects. Like that's, um, that's, so, that's so great to hear you know, like you mentioned, like kids producing something that they're like really proud of and excited about and maybe inspire them. I, I love the fact that kids are like experimenting with things that maybe they didn't understand that they might have some talent in and some interest in. And uh, to be able to have that opportunity is so valuable for them. So thank you for all that you do to help inspire those kids. Of course. Yeah, that one um, I had to preface with, I better not see your artwork on any like sidewalk, walls, buildings, but I don't want any blame for, for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that sometimes like kids need that really explicit directive of like, uh, this is okay, but if you go further, th that's not you. Talk with me a little bit about equity for yourself. How do you ensure that students have the most equitable education possible? There's a lot of opportunities, especially under like creative art. It's not very specific to like one thing, um, which leaves a lot of room for opportunities um, to kind of, in a sense, level the playing field. So a student at home who <laughs> doesn't really have anything other than paper and pencil, um, I've been giving them opportunities to use those things. Whereas the students that are in person, might have the same assignment, but then they use what's at school. So trying to create interesting outlets um, that are equally as engaging with the materials that the kids have. So I don't know if you've gone into my echo course, some of my videos, especially the early ones are pretty, <laughs> uh, they're interesting. Um, but Sometimes, you know, I try to do those videos for the at-home kids with things I have lying around my house. So for one assignment, the kids needed to trace something circular. So in my video, I was using a roll of dog poop bags to trace because that's what I had at home. I didn't have a ruler. I didn't have a compass. So I was trying to um, give those opportunities and show the kids that, it, you know, you can use 
and utilize the things that are around you. There's not necessarily a right or a wrong. Um, and some of the best ones I saw kids were like, this is, you know, I traced the um, plug to my iPad, right? The kids were just finding things and utilizing things around their house where you wouldn't necessarily think of that as a drawing tool. Sure, like art's not about like having all these like expensive materials, right? Like there's creative and resourceful things that you can do to make art happen anywhere. But I, and I also just think that to like just this thinking about like the therapeutic side of things when it comes to art and having like the opportunity to like express yourself in a way that maybe you weren't expecting to or having this like sort of like zone I think it's like also really beneficial for our students especially right now um, with remote learning are you seeing students remotely also producing some pretty um, great stuff too at home yeah I've I've gotten some really incredible stuff and some of it so I've given the kids choice especially when they're at home, I give them more choice to utilize whatever materials they have at home. Some kids like the digital art. I, I like reached out to Emilio and I was like, you gotta teach me how to do this because that's not my area of expertise. Um, but I've seen some really incredible digital art come through with the same prompt um, as the other students. You know, everyone gets the same prompt or the same um, jumping off point and then they can choose whatever they have access to in order to create their art. So I did a animal alter ego self-portrait as an assignment and I saw everything from pencil um, to digital art. I had kids using watercolor, but they thought about what sort of animal would represent their alter ego. So they could have taken it as based on their current personality um, or something that is exact opposite of what they wish they could be um, and then incorporate the human and animal elements. And I will send you pictures of what the kids have turned in. Um, there were some really incredible pieces that came, so. Yeah, I love that. Um, send any more photos or my way. You sent some awesome stuff at the beginning of the school year uh, from years past. And I love embedding some of those into, you know, the things that we do together as a staff. So staff can also see things digitally since it's not super feasible to do that in person, although that's changing now. So it's good. Yeah. Um, Sarah, anything that you are really focusing on yourself uh, personally, professionally, um, this coming either the rest of the school year or maybe even down the road for next school year that you're like, hey, I'm, I'm really trying to focus on this and embedding this into my practices. Yes, <laughs> I think right now my focus is really on learning the different technology options and how I can reach students through that format. The AMPT class, we just got our large scale vinyl printer um, set up. We're about to get trained on that. So I'm super excited to be able to bring that in. Um, I bought something, some, I bought a Cricut, um, so the kids can learn how to use something that's technology-based that can create work that they would be able to sell and market themselves. So, you know, kids don't necessarily have a $23,000 printer at home, um, but I bought that and a Cricut. So to show them opportunities that they can use that's not costly um, and they can still start their own business and figure out how to use it and create um, in all the ways imaginable. Um, and then we also have a Glowforge coming, which I'm super excited about also. It's a laser engraver. 
Um, but it's really, it's really cool in the sense that it can laser engrave. It's a camera. Um, I could put in a hand-drawn Sharpie piece of paper into it and this uh, Glowforge will scan my drawing. And then I can put chocolate cookies into the laser engraver and it will scan the chocolate cookies and then it will engrave my drawing, my Sharpie drawing into all of these cookies. So there's essentially no limits to it. So I'm really excited um, to learn that and then be able to show and teach the students um, all these new upcoming ways of technology and how it's changing the opportunities um, that we have at our hands. You know, we, we talked already about just like, it doesn't have to be expensive, but the technology out there is really like fascinating and how it is changing the art landscape. And that's so cool that we are able to sort of stay on the cutting edge of some of that stuff. Yeah, so I'm excited. That's, I would say is gonna be my biggest challenge as someone who, I'm a hands-on person. That's how I've always learned. I write my notes that way. I, you know, I use a sketchbook. I'm not much of a computer person. Um, so it's all of this is very exciting and also very much out of my comfort zone. So I'm slightly terrified, but very excited <laughs> to learn it. And I, you know, the kids are even more tech savvy than I am. So, you know, having the kids have that opportunity to show me how technology savvy they are and be able to teach me things um, because that's, you know, one of the reasons I love education is being able to learn from other people. Yeah, same. And like to be vulnerable to say like, hey, you're going to need to help me kids uh, like that just takes the learning from them for them to like a, a new level as well. Um, and also like I love your like response about failing forward. It's like, you know what, I'm not going to know this, and but I'm going to try and not be afraid to make mistakes. And that's that's really good. What is Sierra Pius's best failure? This is a really hard question. And I've been thinking about this for a week and I still have not come up with an answer. I think one of my biggest failures is that I become so invested in my students that I want to, to not go home and cry and want to tear my hair out because I'm putting so much effort in to a kid that doesn't want to accept it, that doesn't want to put in as much effort as I felt like I was putting in, learning from that and learning that sometimes my best approach is to show the kids how much I care and then put up you know, that boundary that says, I'm going to care this much and I need for you to reciprocate before I continue to put in more and more time and effort. Um, Cause there were days where I was like coming home crying and I'm like, I, I just don't get it. I don't get why I care more than they do. Well, I think that's that's really a good response. And I, I don't think anybody has actually mentioned this yet. Um, and I'm really glad you did. You know, like you can only, you can do what is right for all students, right? Like you can care and you can put forth those things. Um, but if you take it to an unhealthy level where it, like that's impacting you and your mental health because like, you know, students are not responding. Like it's, it's not about, it, it's not about you, right? It, this it's, you know, you can try as much as you can, but at the end of the day, students also need to reciprocate and like, you know, we can have better strategies to, to reach them um, and whatnot and improve those types of things, but you have to like make sure that you do take care of yourself first and foremost. Right. And I think, you know, some of that is when I was putting so much in and taking, I took everything personally. And I think that 
on a student level became maybe more off-putting. So putting, you know, creating that boundary for myself, like to show them how much I care, yet say, this is kind of where I stop until you give me something back and show me that you're also invested has made it less off-putting where the kids know that I care and then are willing to put forth, you know, the efforts as someone actually cares and not that I was like, you know, leaning over their shoulder, breathing down their neck, like do this, do this. I think that has helped me grow as a teacher and has also helped with my connections with students because I started to realize how it was coming off to them rather than like, I care. It was coming off as like, ah. Final question for you. What's your big advice for other educators? I think my, I would say that my, my best advice for other educators or new educators coming in is to enjoy, enjoy the process. Realize that there are going to be bumps along the road, which will, you know, in turn, in the end, turn into funny stories that you have, um, but to not get caught up in those days, because there are some days where you walk out of work in tears, and then the majority of the days you're going to walk out happy and enjoy the job. Do it because it makes you happy, if for no other reason. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, the Thank you so much for this conversation, uh, Sierra. It's been awesome connecting with you and learning a little bit about you. And I would talk art with you any day of the week <laughs> to like do some more art projects in your yeah. class and with your kids because that was one of the highlights of my year so far and it was inspiring. And thank you for all you do to inspire our students and to reach them and care about them. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time. Also, we're making skateboards next week. You should come down. Join I will. Me. Thank you all for tuning into today's podcast. I want to encourage you to take a minute to reach out to today's guest and make a personal connection. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Who's Behind the Bulldog.